I had never fully thought and I had never actually fully planned through what I was going to do with it, what I was going to do, any of that. It just... As of 2014, an average of 29 children are reported missing every 24 hours in Colorado. Many of these cases are resolved as a part of custody disputes between parents, or they're just the result of misunderstandings about where the child should be. By the time the child is age 9, over 80% of missing children reports are deemed non-suspicious and 55% of cases are typically resolved when the child returns voluntarily. I'm Laura, and this is Colored Red, a podcast all about Colorado true crime. Today's case is a recent case that I think everyone is much more familiar with. Interestingly, there is a case from June of 2017 that's very familiar involving the death of Kiaya Campbell that the coroner declared to be other than accidental. And the trial of the 15-year-old accused of her death is still underway. It's amazing how much that case is actually resembling this one that I'm going to be going over today. Some of us in Colorado might remember getting the Amber Alert for this case on October 5th, 2012. It's one of those rare cases where the victim is a minor and the perpetrator is also, at the time of the crime, a minor. When we talk about the types of people who are capable of gruesome, vicious crimes and watch documentaries about them and look at their pictures and read books about them, um, we don't normally think of that person as a 17-year-old, and that's not really what we envision in our minds. But what happened to Jessica Ridgway is gruesome, and I would like to warn listeners that this case will involve details about the death of a child, and the details get very gruesome. This episode is also going to feature a 911 call that is, in my opinion, very stressful to listen to, so buckle up, everybody. This is the murder of 10-year-old Jessica Ridgway by 17-year-old Austin Sig. On the morning of October 5, 2012, 10-year-old Jessica Ridgway was getting ready for school in a suburb just north of Denver called Westminster, Colorado. After waking up, Jessica called her classmate using the house phone to ask if they were still walking to school after meeting at his house. She even spoke with the father of this classmate, who confirmed that they would be walking together that day. She attended Witt Elementary School, and she would walk the mile or so to school every morning, and she would often meet up with one or more classmates either at their homes or at Chelsea Park, which was only three blocks from her house, so that they could all walk together the remaining less than mile to the school where they all went together. Jessica's mother, Sarah Pendel Ridgway, would later tell police officers that nothing unusual at all happened that morning, and Jessica wasn't acting suspiciously. 
She informed them that she was a very bright and responsible child who had great grades and was always happy. Even the description of what Jessica was wearing that morning makes it obvious what a fun-loving girl she was. She was wearing a puffy jacket with a pink lining and boots with little pom-poms on them. She had purple framed eyeglasses and she was carrying a black and pink backpack from the Disney show Victorious. In a word, Jessica wasn't the type of girl who would just go up and missing on her own on her way to school. At 10 a.m., Witt Elementary called Jessica's mother to inform her that Jessica hadn't shown up for school, but they were only able to reach a voicemail for Jessica's mom. Jessica's mother worked nights, and she slept during the day, and she did not end up getting this message until 4.30 that evening. During that evening, Jessica's grandmother, Christine, would often stay with Jessica. So when her mother woke up, she immediately called the police. After calling the police, it took a further five hours before protocols were met for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation to release an Amber Alert. The protocol that the Amber Alert requires is that the abducted child is 17 years or younger, that the child is in immediate danger of serious bodily harm or death, and there must be enough descriptive information available to believe a broadcast will assist in the recovery, which in my mind... This is the criteria that has the most gray area because at the point, no one knew what had happened to Jessica or who had potentially abducted her. So the fourth criteria of the Amber Alert is that the activation needs to be requested by local law enforcement, meaning that law enforcement cannot submit an Amber Alert from one state to another. And I'll say that there is an exception for that, but we don't really need to go into it for this podcast episode. And so eventually the police ended up determining that Jessica's father was living in Missouri and that there was no one that they could think of or contact that had abducted Jessica where she would be safe or something was a misunderstanding. So the Amber Alert was eventually put out, but no one had any idea at the time that it was already too late. On October 7th, a message was posted onto a message board by a resident of the Rock Creek subdivision that a backpack and a water bottle had been found on the sidewalk in the subdivision. This neighborhood of Rock Creek is in Superior, Colorado, which is northwest of Westminster, and roughly seven miles from where Jessica was last known to be walking. The CBI collected the backpack, and they took DNA evidence from it and compared it to some that they found in Jessica's home to determine what her DNA profile was from the items. The backpack also contained Jessica's purple-framed eyeglasses and her boots with the pom-poms on them. In collaboration with residents in the neighborhood, it was determined that the backpack had been left on the evening of October 6th, over 24 hours after Jessica had gone missing. Searches commenced around Jessica's school and home, and there were extensive searches of the open space near Jessica's home as well as in Rock Creek. Mailboxes and doors throughout the neighborhood were decorated with ribbons of Jessica's favorite color, purple. Jessica's mother made an emotional plea on the news for the safe return of her daughter, and on October 10th, Jessica's parents were ruled out as being involved in her disappearance, and the police announced that they now firmly believed that Jessica was abducted by an unknown suspect and potentially someone that was completely unknown to the family themselves. There was a DNA profile from the backpack that was determined to not be from Jessica or anybody that she knew. It was a male profile, and when they put it into CODIS, they noted that it matched another case from May 28th of 2012. 
On May 28th, a 22-year-old woman was jogging in Westminster when she was attacked by a male suspect. This male attempted to cover her mouth with a rag soaked in an unknown substance, and he tried to drag her into the underbrush near the trail. The jogger was able to fight off the attacker and call police, and she described him as a white male aged 20 to 25 years old, approximately 5'7 to 5'9, with an average build and brown hair. And then the worst happened. Late on October 11th, Jessica's body was found in Arvada, which is south of Westminster, near an open space called Patridge Park, near Highway 93, about seven miles from Jessica's home, meaning both her backpack and body were found less than 10 miles from her own home. And this is where it will get rough. The remains were dismembered. Her torso was all that was present, and her head and limbs had been removed and were not found at this site. Many of the internal organs had been removed, and due to the lack of blood and blood spatter, it was determined that the body had been washed. A wooden cross, approximately one inch by one and a half inches, was inserted into her vagina. The cause of death at the time of the arrest affidavit was listed as undetermined. Following the discovery of the body, Neighborhood canvases were conducted, and occupants of several hundred homes in Jessica's neighborhood were interviewed for any possible lead on the culprit. A break did not come until a week later, on October 19, 2012, when a tip was left on the tip line from a neighbor of the Sig family. And this neighbor had one person in mind, their 17-year-old son, Austin Sig. The arrest affidavit for Austin Sig mentions that the neighbor was concerned about him, and it lists several interesting reasons. One is that the neighbor thought Austin Sig was strange because he was going to a mortuary science program at Arapahoe Community College, and this neighbor describes Austin's behavior as generally strange, and the neighbor also alluded to an incident where she or he had a conversation with Austin's mother, Mindy Sig. And Mindy, for reasons that are left unknown, spoke about concerns with the body disposal and DNA. Now, I, as a true crime podcaster and lover, have conversations about bodies disposal and DNA all the time, so I'm not exactly too concerned about this. The chances that she was referring to what Austin had done, or that she knew at that time what Austin had done, I think are fairly minimal. It's possible she was just talking in general about this case or something related to it. I'm not entirely sure on that. Two FBI agents then showed up at Austin's house and they obtained his DNA via a mouth swab. The interesting thing here is that Austin's DNA did not initially actually match the DNA from the torso of Jessica Ridgeway, nor did it match the DNA profile from the shirt of the attacked jogger. And this is all located in the arrest affidavit online. You could say, okay, the DNA collected was clearly from a different person, but then why was it on both the attached jogger and Jessica Ridgeway? The only conclusion that you can come to is that there is some kind of mistake in this analysis, but we'll find out soon enough that Austin Sig is definitely the perpetrator. But then this doesn't really give me a lot of warm fuzzies about the analysis of the DNA samples in general. Eventually they would get a match from the samples to Austin Sig. So the crazy part is after this initial DNA collection, Austin truly believed that he was caught. 
He believed that they would get a match, and that night he confessed to his mother that he had killed Jessica Ridgway. When Mindy Sig came home that evening, she found Austin laying in her bed, and he told her that he had something to confess. At that time, he had no idea that they would later not actually match his DNA initially, and he thought that he was just completely caught, and he decided to turn himself in. On October 23rd, 2012, at 7.31 p.m., Mindy Sig, Austin Sig's mother, comes to an impasse and makes probably the hardest decision that she'll ever have to make. Mindy Sig called the police to inform them that her son, Austin Reed Sig, had confessed to her that he kidnapped and murdered Jessica Ridgway. Now, I'll have to warn that this call is very difficult to listen to. It takes the police officers some time to get to the house, and every minute is feeling like an hour to Austin and his mother. They're slowly coming unraveled with each other as they stand there in the driveway and they wait for the police to arrive and arrest Austin. During the call, Mindy Sig says that Austin informed her that the remaining parts of Jessica Ridgeway, meaning her head and limbs, were inside of their home. The dispatcher is asking some seemingly strange questions in an effort to keep Austin talking and sort of keep them focused on the task at hand while police make their way to the house. The dispatcher is frustrating to listen to, I will admit that, but here's part of that call. This is Molly. Hey, Molly. I'm trans- this is Rhoda. I'm transiting a phone call in to you, okay? Okay. Okay, hopefully it went. Do I hang up? Hello? Hi, this is Molly at Westminster Police. Can I help you? Hi, um... I need you to come to my house. Um, my son wants to turn himself in for the Jessica Ridgeway murder. Okay, what's the address? 10622 West 102nd Avenue. And what's going on there? Can you not hear me? He just confessed to killing her. I know. I, w- I want you to tell me what's going on. Can you tell me exactly what he said? But he did it, and he gave me details, and her remains are in my house. Did you see them? No. Is he there with you? Yes. Is he cooperative? Yes. How old is your son? 17. Hold on one second. What is your son's name? Austin Sig. Can you spell it? You said Austin? Mm-hmm. Okay, and spell his last name for me. S is in Sam, I-G-G. Okay, I understand that you're probably, you know, feeling pretty crappy right now, but I want you to know that you did the right thing. Well, he, he, he did it. He just wanted me to call. He, he is turning himself in. Okay, do you think that he's going to be cooperative with the officers? Absolutely. Okay. There's a point in the call when Mindy Sig tells dispatch that she is so distraught that she can barely breathe. Austin continues to tell dispatch on the call that he was born on January 17, 1995, and that he attended Arapahoe Community College as he answers their questions. He stated that he was giving himself up completely. The dispatcher went on to ask Austin if he ever committed any other crimes, to which he responded that he had attacked a woman at Kettner Lake. 
He also mentioned that he received a speeding ticket after this incident as he was racing away from attacking that woman. Do you think that Austin would talk to me? Will you talk to him? Yeah, hold on. Okay. Hello. Is this Austin? Yes, it is. Hi, Austin. This is Molly at the Westminster Police Department. Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on right now or how you're feeling or, or how did this come about? Uh, I, I, I don't exactly get why you're asking these questions. I murdered Jessica Richway. Okay. There is, I have proof that I did it. I, there is no other question. You just have to send a squad car something down here, and right. I will answer all the questions that you want to ask okay. or anyone wants to ask of me as soon as you just you got to get down here. Okay. Austin, I have a police officer that's going to come over to your house, okay? Can you tell me what part of the house that her remains are in? Underneath the house and across this. Okay, did you know Jessica before this? No, I did not. Do you have any weapons in your house? I do, but I plan to use absolutely none of them. I will be sitting in my front room when the police officer arrives. I'll be right next to my mother. I have knives in my room, um, and we own a few guns, but I'm, okay. I'm giving myself up completely. There will be no resistance whatsoever. Okay. Have you committed any crimes like this before? Just the first um, I mean, are, do you have a criminal history of any sort? The only other thing that I have done that before this was the Kettner Lake incident where the woman got attacked. That was me as well. And other than that, the only criminal history I have is a speeding ticket. Okay. All right, Austin. Well, I guess the police. No, well, just like I said, I am sending you a police officer, okay? But, but you have to understand that that you know we we take this stuff very seriously. And like I said, you did the right thing by calling. I would I would have to hope that you would take this serious because this is important. I, I am I am over here. Please. I absolutely am taking this seriously. Can you can you please hurry up? I need to call his dad. Well, my phone, ma'am. Um, I understand you want to call your. I understand you want to call your husband, and I'm sorry, but I would like to keep you guys on the phone just until the officers get a little bit closer. Well, how far are they? Um, they're going to be there in just a few minutes. Okay, they're they're going to be there in just a few minutes. Can you? Can I get? Right, yeah, we can stay on the line, but do you have to keep asking questions? Okay, no, I don't. I don't. Can mom? Can I just get your name? My name is Mindy. And Mindy, do you have the same last name? Yeah. Okay. Has Austin been diagnosed with any mental health um, mental health issues? Does he see a counselor or take any medications? He saw a counselor um, years ago okay. for um, porn. Okay. And we were talking, and we think that might have led to it, but I don't know. And what? I, I, I don't know. Okay. I can't breathe. Take some deep breaths for me. Do you want me to start you an ambulance? No. 
Are you sure? Mindy, take a couple deep breaths for me, okay? Yeah. Is Austin still there with you? No, I'm hugging him. Okay, you guys are hugging? Okay, you, you definitely did the right thing. You tell me when the officers get there. They're coming to your front door. Okay? I don't see him. Are you still at the front door? Yeah. Okay. They're they're walking up to your house, okay? They for their for their safety reasons they park down the street and they're walking up. Okay, and like I said, they're gonna be plain clothes, they're not FBI. Okay, they're Westminster police officers and they're coming to help you. Okay. Is Austin still calm? Is how is his demeanor right now? They need to hurry up. I'm trying to get them to hurry, okay? Like I said, we we're getting officers there as quickly as we can. Is Austin okay with you right now? Yeah, he's just getting really anxious and so am I. Okay. So upon arriving to the SIG house, they detained Austin and they entered to check the crawl space that he indicated was where the rest of Jessica Ridgeway was located. There, the officer found several black trash bags that were similar to the one that Jessica's torso was found in. And without opening the bags, he could tell that they held Jessica's head and limbs. They arrested Austin, and they took him to the station where he gave a statement about what happened exactly the day that he abducted Jessica. On the morning of October 5th, Austin drove his Jeep Cherokee to Jessica's block, and he sat in the back seat of the Jeep. When Jessica walked by his car, he jumped out and grabbed her and pulled her inside. He used zip ties to bind her arms and legs together. She screamed, and Austin made a promise to her that she would be all right if she would just keep quiet. Believing Austin, Jessica kept quiet during the ride. And he drove around for a while before taking Jessica back to his house that he shared with his mom. And he pulled his Jeep into the driveway and closed the garage door behind him. He then cut the zip ties off of her hands and carried her upstairs to his bedroom. He sat her on his bed, and they watched a movie from Netflix, and over the course of several hours, he kept her captive in his bedroom, and they watched movies, and he did things like cut her hair, in between sexually assaulting her, cutting her, bruising her, and telling her that everything would be okay, and that he would let her go. Jessica would repeatedly ask Austin if she would ever see her mom again. Later in the day, Austin instructed her to change out of her clothing and into a shirt and shorts that he had set out for her in his bathroom. After she changed clothes, he attempted to strangle her with zip ties, but said that they cut too much into his hands to get any kind of leverage, so he then strangled her with his bare hands. He then noticed her still twitching. So when he saw this, he moved her body into a bathtub filled with scalding hot water and placed her face down in the water 
so that he could make certain that she was no longer breathing. He then used a saw that he had in the garage and a razor blade that was located in a utility knife to first remove one of her hands and one of her feet. He then removed the other hand and he sat in the bathroom and meticulously cut her hands into pieces and flushed the pieces down the toilet. He then removed her head, legs, and arms and placed them in plastic bags. He placed the torso in a separate bag and put the rest of the bags into the pool shed in the backyard of his house. Her body remained in those bags in the pool shed overnight. The next day, Austin noticed a heavy police presence in the area, and he drove his Jeep Cherokee to the neighborhood north of Westminster in Superior with Jessica's backpack. He had gone through the backpack and also placed some items in it, and he could describe the items in the backpack in detail, including some of the clothes that she was wearing and a wooden stick that was missing its bark. And this might not, the wooden stick might not have much significance to anybody, but I remember when I was a kid sitting bored and peeling bark off of sticks that I found. And this particular detail of something that was found in her backpack, um, it really struck me. He dumped the backpack so that it would be found to divert the police from his own neighborhood. He then threw Jessica's jacket into a public trash can and also threw away the blade from the utility knife that he used to dismember her. He later learned that police were using cadaver dogs, and he decided to get rid of Jessica's torso, but for whatever reason, he held onto the other body parts. That, And the reasons for that we'll discuss a little bit later, and I think we can infer some of the reasons why he wanted to hang on to her other body parts. He brought the torso back into his house from the pool shed and he washed it a second time, emptying out the organs of the body and flushing the organs down the toilet. He then placed the torso into two new black trash bags. Austin would mention that he was careful to use gloves and not leave his fingerprints on the bags or on her body. He then drove to the area where the torso was later found and discarded it. He also mentioned that he placed the cross inside of her to make investigators think that they were looking for some kind of religious zealot. The presence of the cross was never released to the public, so this was definitely a detail that he only knew. And he went home and placed the utility knife into a drawer in the garage and placed the rest of Jessica's body parts into the crawl space in his basement. During subsequent police interviews with Austin, he told them more details about his plans with the jogger who he attacked at Kettner Lake. Austin researched how to make chloroform on the internet prior to staking out the lake. He then said that he used bleach and acetone to make the chloroform, which he then poured onto a rag. Now, I don't think I have to inform any of my listeners that trying to chloroform people isn't a good idea, but it's also a terrible idea because it won't work like it does in the movies. A person would have to breathe in quite a lot of it and take many deep breaths of it to come anywhere near passing out. So Austin went into the park and he sat in some bushes and he watched as the jogger passed and then he leapt out from behind her and he tried to put the chloroform over her mouth. She struggled and fought enough to not give him time enough, which again is a long time you have to hold this on someone's mouth. 
So she didn't give him enough time to use the chloroform-soaked rag, if that's even what it actually was soaked in, to make her pass out. She pushed him off and ran away, and he stated that he planned to do to her exactly what he had done to Jessica, had she not gotten away. So, who is Austin Sig? Well, when you went out that morning, Friday morning, October 5th, which was early in the morning, and you drove over to Jessica's neighborhood, mm-hmm. what were you planning on doing that day? I had the intent of picking up some, um, so any, any female that came across where I was, that it didn't matter what time, where, it did just anything. So you were, you were out for a better word, hunting? Yeah, uh, that's the only word I can think of. And did you know Jessica? No. Had you ever seen her before? No, not at all. She was wrong place, wrong time. It was all random. I, I, I was. You didn't stop the neighborhood or go mm-hmm. over to that neighborhood and mm-hmm. was looking for her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been out before looking I, for somebody? I had gone out before hunting, as you would call it. And I had never even remotely gotten close to anything or even been able to... Any time that I would even see someone walking while I was out in one of those modes, my heart would just instantly start beating really fast, and I just... I couldn't think straight. I just... Was that some of the thrill that you got by going out and doing this? Was was there a thrill aspect to it? I, I've been trying to figure that out for a while now. The trial provided glimpses into what his motives were for these crimes. He hunted Jessica down before grabbing her, but he wasn't hunting Jessica specifically. Just any girl who happened to walk by. He said he was doing these things to act out a sexual fantasy of his. During his sentencing trial, which is available to watch on YouTube, they detailed his porn searches and they found that he was aroused by torture porn. And he also looked up rape porn. His mother would testify that she had found child porn on his computer in 2008, and he had a fascination with death and dismemberment and was very interested in dead animals and human bodies. In the trial, they talk with a psychologist who mentions that Austin Sig was a sadist who got a kind of reverse empathy in hurting someone else. As in, they get a high like an adrenaline rush when they hurt people. Austin made it very clear after he had Jessica in his car he knew that he would have to kill her. The attack on the jogger was only a taste of the fear that he felt in his victim, and the adrenaline rush that he got from attacking her, and this feeling explicitly carried into his attack on Jessica. Austin Sig used the word hunting to describe his actions with Jessica. The dismembering of Jessica was also part of his sexual fantasies in that The actual act of dismembering her was sexually arousing to him. He kept her skull, which he took a special interest in. And interestingly enough, he labeled her other body parts as if they were in a morgue, but he did 
flush most of her organs down the toilet. So, at this point you question what was his motivation in talking to the police, stating that he felt remorse, but was it true? Sometime in the sentencing um, trial was dedicated to whether or not Austin actually felt remorse for his actions. And the psychologist believes that he doesn't. And what Austin says is that he does, but as is true with many psychopaths, it's unclear if he was just saying these things at the sentencing trial to try to get a lesser sentence. The sentencing trial itself was very long and emotional. Austin was charged with 19 counts, including first-degree murder after deliberation, three counts of felony murder, sexual assault on a child, second-degree kidnapping and robbery, as well as attempted murder, attempted kidnapping, and attempted sexual assault related to the park jogger. It was made clear at the time that these charges were put forth that Austin would be tried as an adult and he would not be tried in a juvenile court. Austin would later plead guilty to all of these charges. The minimum sentence for these charges offers a chance for parole in 40 years. Austin can legally not face the death penalty since he was 17 at the time of the slaying. A psychologist for the prosecution offered a glimpse of what it was like for Austin to tell his mother Mindy that he had killed Jessica Ridgway. He told his mom that he had not sexually assaulted or tortured Jessica and over the course of the conversation, she convinced him to turn himself in, and they both gradually became unraveled after that. The sentencing trial held a lot of emotions as the prosecution put forth a video slideshow of Jessica growing up from being a little girl. Austin was actually seen wiping his eyes with a tissue during the slideshow. The defense also put forth a slideshow of Austin as a child in some attempt to get a lighter sentencing on him. In what amounted to a complicated sentence, the judge Munksinger imposed the maximum sentence for several of the 15 counts, ensuring that Sig, who was 18 at the time of this sentencing, would never leave prison. Debates over whether or not it is justified to sentence a minor to life in prison uh, still go on about this case, among others, but the judge made a final statement that he would be terrified to find out what Austin could be capable of as a fully matured adult. In memory of Jessica, her favorite color was purple, and many members of the family still all wear purple every single day. As she grew up, she loved wearing princess costumes and making up dances, and she enjoyed her time on a peewee cheerleading squad. Her mom recently had another daughter who has Jessica's same middle name, and they want to raise their daughter without fear. In the trial, Jessica's mother said that they would not remember his name. And this was a part of her final statement in forgetting who he was and just remembering Jessica. So thank you, everyone. That's the program for today. Be sure to head to Colored Red Podcast on Instagram to find some images from this case and also updates about what's going on with new um, episodes that I'm going to be bringing out and just news in general. And I'm also going to start sharing some interesting facts about Colorado on there that are kind of weird or spooky or whatever. So head there and you can contact me at coloredredpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.